This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Ontario's response to COVID-19 has been disorganized and inconsistent. It lagged behind other provinces and sidelined key health officials. Those are the findings of Auditor General Bonnie Lissick in a scathing report she released yesterday. The pushback from the government has been fierce, but now... Let's hear from the opposition, starting with Stephen Del Duca, leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. Hello, how are you? I'm doing okay, thanks, Libby. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. So what is your overall reaction to this report? Uh, listen, I think the report is scathing, and I think it's, um, you know, I think it reinforces what many of us have been saying for quite some time. Um, I think Doug Ford has been lying to the people of, of Ontario about who's making the decisions. Um, he has not given uh, Dr. Williams and other public health leaders uh, the chance to be uh, an effective decision makers. It's very, very complex and confusing. That's one of the findings of the Auditor General, and I think that's uh, it's, it's extremely disappointing and inappropriate. I, you know, I, I think Doug Ford, frankly, yesterday, instead of lashing out at the auditor, should have accepted the findings, should have acknowledged that you know there's more work that needs to be done, and, and figured out a way forward. And the path that he chose instead, I think, was. Uh, reckless, and I think, uh, you know, very, very sad, very, very sad. Uh, one of the key things that she said was that there was a failure to make key changes after the 2003 SARS outbreak, and quite frankly, and many other people have pointed out, that is a problem that can be traced back to successive liberal governments. Yeah, so look, I, I've said since the day I became leader of the Ontario Liberal Party that we were not a perfect government. I think that there were many positive changes made after the SARS uh, crisis that we faced as a province back in 2003, for sure. But the fact of the matter is that we've now been dealing with COVID-19 in Ontario for now nearly nine months. We see the numbers are going in the wrong direction, particularly in hotspots like Toronto and Peel. Um, I just said a second ago, Doug Ford clearly has been lying to the people of, of Ontario, ignoring public health advice. And he's also been literally hoarding billions of dollars in pandemic relief that could have flowed out to nursing homes, hospitals, schools, uh, to small business entrepreneurs who have been battered so badly in this pandemic. And instead, he's chosen not to make that effort or lift a finger to make any of those things happen. So I acknowledge that there have been past mistakes, but we're in the middle of a second wave of a brutal pandemic. And we need to figure out what we're, what we're doing starting today and going forward. And I, I personally believe the way that Doug Ford handled yesterday's report proves to me that he's the wrong person in this job at this moment of crisis in Ontario. Mm -hmm. I mean, so far, he's had pretty high marks, and we do get announcements every other day about hundreds of millions here and hundreds of millions there. Uh, so where is all this money you say he's hoarding? Yeah, I, I don't know. And, and that that's not just coming from me. It was the financial accountability officer, another independent officer of the legislature who confirmed that, that those billions have not been spent yet. That was a few weeks ago. 
I don't know exactly why Doug Ford isn't isn't going forward with investing that kind of money. It's so badly needed. Um, and you're you know you're right. He has been getting high marks, and I can understand that for sure. His tone during the pandemic has changed versus the tone that Doug Ford displayed in his first year and a half in power. But you know, Libby, there comes a point in the midst of a crisis when you have to back up tone and empathy, which are important, with meaningful action and competence. And I think that's where you know where I see Doug Ford in particular dropping the ball. And again, instead of acknowledging that he can do better, his team can do better. He chose to lash out at the Auditor General. By the way, lash out at the same Auditor General who he had no problem being supportive of and relying upon when he was an opposition politician and even for the first year after he became Premier. So it seems to me Doug Ford can't handle the criticism, which I think is a real shame. Again, that's another failing of leadership from him. Okay, well, yeah, I mean... No government likes Auditor General reports. I mean, that is my experience over many years. Um, True. One of the things that I found that actually I I found surprising was that uh, they gave a sole source contract to McKinsey for well over a million dollars to figure out the response and to set up these tables. And their explanation was that is that because all of this stuff had been cut back before they, they weren't ready. I mean, what is your reaction to that? So, yeah, you're, you're right. They spent $1.6 million. So almost $2 million of taxpayers money to an external consulting firm. And if you look at the rest of the report that the auditor brought forward around what the structure looks like, you know, it, it, it started off with somewhere around 80 people that were involved in decision-making or advisory capacity. It was 21 now, at the first command right, table. Yeah. And now it's over 500. It's over 500 people. And when you also look at where Dr. Williams and other public health leaders fit into that process, several rungs below the ultimate decision-making table. And frankly, when you look at who's at the centralized coordinating table, there are more political staff working for Doug Ford than there are public health leaders at that level, I just I couldn't imagine a worse design or a worse structure to deal quickly with something like a public health crisis. I said this yesterday. I looked at the report and I thought immediately, Doug Ford's more interested in listening to spin doctors than he is real doctors, and that's a problem in the midst of a public health crisis. Well, you know what? Uh, I've got to tell you that when I hear him say that uh, Williams is riding shotgun and that he listens to doctors, I I do believe him. But it's, I mean, it's hard to fathom 500 people in advisory roles. I mean, uh, you know, that is uh, certainly too many cooks. It is. And let's also not forget that a few weeks ago, leaders from Public Health Ontario, which is in fact the agency that's established to, to help deal with crises like this, came out and said that they gave advice and Doug Ford ignored it when he was setting the, the thresholds, the criteria around when and how uh, regions of the province should move back into either a lockdown or face further restrictions. And after getting caught, Doug Ford had to come out the next day and, and adjust those thresholds. So this goes back to that lack of transparency. And again, I just want to say, it is one thing for Doug Ford to say something even empathetically from the podium, but you've got to back that up with something meaningful, tangible, real, that actually helps all of us in Ontario feel like we're going in the right direction. I know they're going to be releasing more projections this afternoon. Like every other Ontarian, I'm hoping the projections will show we are moving in the right direction. The last ones that we saw were downright scary. And yep. so, uh, but, I am, but I am very nervous. I'm very nervous about where things sit right now, and I'm particularly nervous that I, you know, I think Doug Ford is, is failing us uh, when it comes to the kind of leadership that we need in this moment. I, I, I've 
got to tell you another thing about uh, David Williams. So Bonnie Lissick seemed to suggest that he was sidelined. Doug Ford said he's been riding shotgun, but he's come under a lot of criticism, uh, even just for the way he communicates. And one of the things, I mean, if, if the criticism is that he, he, hasn't had a prominent enough role. He didn't provide guidance for all these very disparate and different public health units. I mean, the one, one of the things that really stuck in my mind just a couple of weeks ago was where it might have been less than that, where he stood up and said, hopefully, you know, we'll be in a better position by Christmas. And the health minister had to walk that back the next day. And I'm thinking, what is that guy talking about? So I'm not sure I would blame them for, you know, diminishing his communication role. Yeah, listen, I think one of the big challenges that we face since Labor Day in Ontario has has been the mixed messaging and the confusion. And I keep saying incoherence, you know, think back, I'm sure your listeners thinking back to like right before Thanksgiving, when it was completely unclear to me and my family for days, can we get together? Can we not get together under what situation and what part of the province? And so between the premier and some others that we see on a regular basis, I think that inconsistency has been a problem. One of the other pieces of, I guess, unsolicited advice that I would give the premier, and I've said this, I've said this over the last number of weeks as well, and it's weird coming from a politician to say this, But because this is a public health crisis and because whether it's Dr. Williams, Dr. Yaffe, or a whole, like we got a whole bunch of really incredible homegrown public health experts right here in Ontario, I think it would be really helpful for Doug Ford and the politicians to take just a small step back and to actually put some of those public health leaders forward so that everybody has a a strong sense that the decisions are really being made on evidence, research, science. Uh, what public health leaders believe to be the case. And I think if that took place consistently, uh, I think that would be helpful. That's not to say Doug Ford shouldn't talk to the people. He should. Politicians should. But we've seen other places like British Columbia where the public health leaders have been primarily in charge of communicating. And I think that would be better. Well, yeah. Uh, part of the thing there is that uh, they have a better communicator in charge and they're also having a bad second wave. But uh, Stephen Del Duca, leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, thanks so much for your perspective. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Okay, you too. Okay, uh, before we get to Peter Tabbins, let's go to Ron and... I just lost him. Ron and Guelph, I was about to take your call. Uh, you had a question about what, uh, Peter, what uh, Stephen Del Duca had to say. Um, okay, I'll take a quick call from Pat then in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Good afternoon. I agree totally with what the leader of the opposition just said. In fact, I sent a note to the Premier yesterday saying, why didn't you just accept the lady's recommendations rather than fight them? Um, you know, I think don't think he did any good favors for himself by doing that. But another question is, I realize health is a provincial matter. Why isn't the federal government helping coordinate all of this? So so we don't have 10 or 11, whatever number of governments in this country trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, yeah. The Doug, another thing Doug Ford said, and Pat, I have to let you go because we're running late here. But another thing he said was uh, stay in your lane and don't try to infringe on provincial jurisdictions. Um, that's a whole other conversation. And you do have a point. Thanks for that. Okay, moving right along, um, let's go to Peter Tabbins, uh, NDP MPP and uh, energy critic. Hi, Peter. Hey, Libby. 
Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh, before we get to the meat of it, uh, we send our best to your leader, Andrea Horvath. She's recovering from foot surgery. So we wish her all the best. Thanks so much. Thank you. So uh, your take on the Auditor General's report? Well, it was a, a very thorough, thoughtful report, and it made pretty clear that uh, we're in a situation where we have a much longer, deeper, more problematic second wave because, in fact, the Premier didn't put in place what needed to be put in place. We aren't seeing the investments. We aren't seeing the uh, political leadership actually listen to public health and implement uh, what's been recommended uh, by Public Health Ontario. And so it's quite upsetting. Libby, you, you have friends, family uh, worried about others who might get COVID, uh, worried about friends and family in long-term care, uh, worried about small businesses that are struggling. And we all felt, I think, in the summer uh, that it was going to be really critical to be prepared for this second wave coming in the fall, and we weren't. Uh, and that's extremely disturbing, both because of the, the threat to human life, but also to people's jobs and livelihoods. Uh, yeah, so let's drill down on, on some of this stuff that sure. um, we see here. And, and one of the things, uh, the NDP, you've said that you are really opposed to the extension of David Williams' contract. Uh, the drift that I got from Bonnie Lissick's report was that he's been hamstrung by Doug Ford. Doug Ford says, no, he's been riding shotgun. And as I, I just said in the previous interview, he's come under a lot of criticism on his own. So w- where are you at with that? Well, we think that uh, the uh, decision to uh, a decision about what his role is going to be uh, shouldn't be rubber stamped. That in fact there should be an all-party committee uh, that does uh, a review, makes a decision about how we go forward, which is quite commonly how we make these decisions. Uh, uh, when he was hired, it was an all-party hiring committee, frankly. So I would say that we need that now. Uh, these criticisms that have been made have been very substantial. Uh, there are a lot of unanswered questions as to whether or not. He's been able to see his advice acted on, and I think uh, a review by an all-party committee makes a lot of sense, frankly. Uh, is, is it really? Is there time for that in the midst of all this? I mean, yes, yes, yeah. actually, Libby, there is. I mean, we're not talking about three months. Uh, I think you can probably, within a week or so, pull everyone together and actually have a proper review. Uh, not everything has to go at a snail's pace, frankly. Um, well, I would certainly agree with that. What do you make of this revelation that uh, there was this $1.6 million sole source contract giving to McKinsey to figure out how yeah, to respond? That, that was quite something. I mean, I, I think that uh, possibly uh, if uh, the provincial government, this one and the previous one, had kept up with the Auditor General's recommendations that emergency measures um, be kept in place, properly planned, uh, plans fully fleshed out, uh, that no one would have had to think about this at all. Uh, but what's also strange about it, Libby, is that they seem to have recommended a very clunky, cumbersome structure that's made it difficult to actually carry through on the decisions that were needed. Uh, so it doesn't seem like we got an awful lot of value for the, the almost $2 million that we put down on it. Uh, 
but uh, their uh, response to that is that there was there there really wasn't very much in place, and part of the reason for that, as I. Uh, you know, tried to make the point with Stephen Del Duca was it was successive liberal governments after SARS that didn't make the recommendation or the recommended changes or have the recommended setup. And by the way, that happened. The federal uh, liberals are guilty of that as well. You're right on the money. There's no argument for me on that. <laughs> uh, no, I. When this broke out in the spring, I went back and looked at the SARS recommendations um, because, uh, you know, I was living in Toronto at the time. I wasn't in government, and uh, it was it was pretty grim. Uh, the recommendations were clear, and uh, the Liberal government afterwards didn't actually follow through on those recommendations. And since Doug Ford's been elected, he hasn't followed through either. Uh, so both of those parties neglected what I think was a pretty critical job, and that's protecting people's lives in this province. Okay. Peter Tabbins, thank you so much. Thank you, Libby. You take care. Okay. Um, next, we are going to bring in the Auditor General, Bonnie Lissick. But first, as you've been hearing since yesterday, the government received the report with a very angry blast from Premier Ford. Don't start pretending you're, you're a doctor or a health professional, because I can tell you, you aren't. Stick with the numbers. Stick with the number crunching. Bonnie Lissick, uh, welcome. Uh, I, I don't know, have you ever, uh, I, I'm sure governments don't love hearing from you, but uh, have you heard angry responses like that before? Uh, well, good a- good afternoon. Um, you know, we uh, the type of work uh, that we've done and the reports that we put out are consistent with the work that we've done before. So there shouldn't be any surprises around that. Um, we do uh, we call it a value for money mandate, but it's looking at systems, processes, communication, uh, governance, anything uh, that's involved in you know programs and that. And so we look at that to make recommendations to improve things, look for continual improvement. So, you know, sometimes you have to look backwards and say what was done in order to um, go forward uh, stronger. What's your reaction to getting uh, an angry blast like that? You know, I, I think it's part of, um, you know, uh, the job, part of to, to, to get responses from everybody. We we listen. I mean, we hear what people say. We incorporate that into the work in terms of a response to the actual product. I think I think I can take, um, I think as a group, as my office, we take comfort in the fact that when these reports were written, uh, they have been vetted. There are recommendations in the reports. There are responses from uh, Ontario Health, Public Health Ontario, the Ministry of Health, and the Secretary's Cabinet, and they've accepted the recommendations and they've responded, and they've responded positively uh, to the implementation of recommendations. So from our perspective, it's the, you know, the message in those reports is being listened to and and uh, the ministry will be taking actions going forward. So the end result of it is is a good thing for Ontarians, you know, changes in processes, new computer systems. Uh, to you know, uh, get case management and uh, testing information out out quicker. Well, that's a, a very diplomatic uh, response, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, in terms of uh, one of the first things you talk about is this very cumbersome table with a vast number of people. Uh, how much do you think that ended up contributing to the problems? 
Well, the structure the structure that's been put in place, um, so there's two sides to that. There's a health response table, and then there's a sort of all-of-government uh, um, coordination table. The health response table um, is chaired by the Deputy Minister of Health, and sometimes the, uh, the CEO of Ontario Health Chairs. Members are public health, Ontario, uh, a couple people from there that are full members, a couple visitors. And then there's um, the uh, chief medical officer as part of that. And as uh, what we heard from people is the size of that group grew and grew. And most of the communications were on telephone from the beginning of the pandemic right until July. And uh, so it was difficult for people to know who was talking, who was saying what, was the loudest voice, the one that had the most impact on the final decision. So that was what we meant. It wasn't clear. Um, and the discussions around that aren't aren't captured or documented. Um, typically, when a, a pandemic would hit, other provinces activated their emergency measures plan. So you'd have, um, uh, you know, set roles and responsibilities, a command and control kind of structure that would uh, click in, and it would be very clear who was making the decisions and who was, um, you know, in control of, of the process. You had a lot of criticism for the fact that David Williams did not have that kind of uh, con control. Uh, would you say is the problem that the the province was sidelining him, or was the problem that he himself was not taking charge and seemed very reluctant to communicate and, uh, you know, said things as recently as a couple of weeks ago, you know, I hope, I hope we'll all be able to get together for Christmas when it was pretty clear that that was not the case. Yeah, I think there's a combination of things here at play. I mean, the uh, SARS Commission was what led to Public Health Ontario being struck and changes to the legislation um, that created the medical officer's role. This is probably the largest event since that that um, you know that affected that role. So typically, the chief medical officer reports in as an assistant deputy minister to the minister. Uh, to the, I'm sorry, to the deputy minister. And uh, when something like this happens, that role could could use more power now, uh, or could could use more power to issue orders and things like that. So I guess what we saw is is um, you know it was more uh, the role worked another advisor into this uh, health response table, who then provided advice to the coordination table, who then provided advice to premier and cabinet. And so you know I think there's many many things that, um, you know, factored into the way uh, decisions were made along the way. Uh, but the point in our report is to put that forward and to have people sit back and go, okay, now we know what we've been doing and we know what the role looks like to this point. You know, what, what happens going forward? If COVID's still with us for, you know, six, eight months a year, um, what do we need to change, if anything, or just make sure that uh, people understand, you know, where the decisions are made and there's transparency around the process. Okay, well, uh, the Premier, again, has said that some of the things you said were unacceptable, and you're saying that some of your recommendations have been accepted. Uh, the health minister said that, too. So um, what has been accepted if uh, publicly they're blasting you? You know, I... I go by the report. Um, all the recommendations are in the report. All the actions are there. Uh, the actions were reconfirmed, the responses to the report with the Secretary of Cabinet 
And so, you know, I, I, I'm satisfied that that report has been accepted to move forward with, um, by the, uh, the people that vetted it and, uh, and gave us feedback on it. So, um, I think it's a tool and I hope going forward it's looked as a tool. It's not, you know, when you're in a time like this and people trying to do their best, sometimes, you know, hearing, hearing some, you know, ways to improve things could be, um, maybe taken the wrong way. It's all done. This work out of this office is done with the intent of making things better going forward uh, uh, for, you know, uh, citizens of Ontario. So just to clarify, what would the command table look like according to your recommendations? Um, Well, if the IMS model had been followed uh, like in other provinces, uh, what, what you still have your health response table, you might streamline the membership a bit and make sure that that health response table has a lot of people with the health backgrounds that are needed to, to make, you know, bring forward the best advice. That would go up to the next table. There could be a little bit more streamlining. There isn't a table under the IMS model. Um, there's a table of deputies and uh, that table would get more delegated responsibilities before more larger issues need to be pushed to the Premier and Cabinet. So it's not unusual that government makes decisions, obviously, in an emergency situation. It's just, you know, perhaps there's different levels of decisions uh, for different reasons that can be worked through. And and usually you'll see some of that laid out in emergency management response plans. If there's one thing that should be done now while we're still in the midst of this that should be done first, what would that be? I would say continually making sure that region by region that there is monitoring of the the time for testing, case management, and contact tracing. And when one of those three things falls behind, that's a trigger to to look deeper and to fix the problem so that all of that, those three things can happen as fast as they can. If they don't happen fast, then there's less containment of spread of the virus. And that's based on uh, Lancet. Public Health uh, had, a, uh, had a study in their magazine that uh, in July, I think, of 2020 that indicated the importance around a fast testing, fast case management, uh, and fast contact tracing communication. Okay, Bonnie Lissick, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? No, just thank you for this opportunity. And, uh, you know, I hope uh, people that read the report find them uh, interesting and uh, and uh, useful, uh, you know, going forward. Okay, Bonnie Lissick, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And uh, Ron from Guelph has been waiting patiently now to have his say, so uh, we'll give him that before the break. Hi, Ron. Hello there. Um, thanks, Libby. Um, I'd like to... Uh, personally add my thanks to uh, uh, Bonnie Lissick for contributing to your show. She she gave a lot of clarity um, in her response to your questions that I don't think came out in the original media. Uh, I thought what she was saying was incredible. I'm a little bit disappointed in the Premier. I've supported him, but his response um, really wasn't that great. Um, in terms of, uh, first of all, Stephen Del Duca, I'd love to know where his proof is that the government was hoarding that much money. Well, yeah, I asked him that, and he didn't really 
answer that. And uh, uh, one of the things the government keeps saying, I mean, everybody has their handout, right? And the government keeps saying that the funds that are promised from the federal government don't flow fast enough. And then we keep hearing, you know, things like there are some um, PSWs, personal support workers who haven't got their danger pay. That's not even in effect anymore. I mean, you know, um, uh, it's it's hard for me to see where, you know, is the money under the mattress? Where is it? Yeah, in response to Mr. Tabin's um, thing that, uh, well, the, the province wasn't re- prepared for the second wave, tell me a jurisdiction around the world that was completely prepared for it. Um, maybe Korea, uh, South Korea, and a few other places were ready for it, but I can't think of any of the other Canadian provinces that were completely prepared. Can you? Uh, no, and and the government is right that on a per capita basis, we're actually uh, relatively doing better than a lot of other places. This second wave thing is uh, just horrible all over the world. Ron, thanks for your call. I've got to let you go. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.